You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey coach, welcome to episode 78 of Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. I am Chrissy Beltran, your host, and today we are talking about setting up a model classroom. So I've had some questions about what a model classroom is and why you would want to do it. And I've also had a lot of questions about how to support a lot of teachers when your time is really limited. And I think that answering these questions in the same episode is going to make a lot of sense (laughs) because a model classroom is a classroom in which you will provide a lot of support in and you can then leverage that support to support other teachers on your campus. Also, if you hear any meowing in the background, I am really sorry. (laughs) We recently acquired a cat who just showed up out of nowhere and harassed us until we decided to let her stay. And it's December. It's cold outside. You know, we took her to the vet. There was no microchip. I checked on the local Facebook groups and stuff to see if anybody was missing the aforementioned cat. And the only post I could find about her was somebody else who said that it was harassing her as well and did it belong to anyone. <laughs> so I think that we're safe to say she is a, um, she was a stray and uh, now she's ours. And so <laughs> Ellie is very loud sometimes and I have the door closed and she is out in the rest of the house, but still sometimes I feel like she's in the room with me, you know, so that's how loud she is. So anyway, apologies if there is an obnoxious cat in the background. I have tried and this is just who she is. So setting up a model classroom, you can use model classrooms to maximize your coaching influence in rooms that you don't have time to get into. So we want to define what a model classroom is first. And then we're going to walk through how to choose a model classroom, what you're going to do there once you've chosen it, and how to use this classroom to leverage your impact across your school. So a model classroom is not a perfect classroom, despite what it sounds like. It includes a teacher who can serve as a model, but that doesn't mean that they are the most incredible, amazing, perfect teacher ever. As a matter of fact, sometimes those teachers are so daunting to others that it's good to choose a teacher that is more accessible and who kind of thinks like your other teachers and who makes sense to your other teachers because sometimes those naturals, and we'll talk about this in a minute, those natural teachers that just think to magically make things happen um, easily can be really overwhelming to a teacher who's trying to learn something new and they may not be able to structure their thinking well enough to really explain that to teachers who are struggling to learn something new. So you want to be really thoughtful about what that model classroom can look like. We want it to be accessible to other teachers. It is a strong teacher though. It won't do coaching work for you creating a model classroom, but it will serve more teachers than that one if you're strategic about how you use it. So let's talk about how to choose a model classroom because the idea is that this model classroom is going to be where you're spending a lot of your time and it's also going to be where other teachers are visiting and observing and noting things and possibly asking questions of the teacher. So you want to be really thoughtful in how you choose this model classroom. So the first step that I'm going to recommend to you is to really get to know your teacher's practice as well as you can 
in a short amount of time. <laughs> because realistically, if we wait till October or November to choose our model classroom, we've really missed the boat on a lot of opportunities. So early in the year or, you know, based on data that you've had from previous years, observations and things, I want you to figure out which room would be a really great model classroom. And you may need to choose two or three depending on how many grades or content areas you're serving and how many teachers you have. So in episode 39, I talk about a strategy called the classroom sweep. It's a strategy for coaches to kind of observe and see what's going on across their schools. And in it, I talk about how you want to visit each classroom and take some observational notes, just short notes, that are going to help you think about which room could serve as a model classroom. Now, that was more about a needs assessment, but this is going to help you think about model classrooms as well, because you want to know which classrooms have some things in place, some good structures, some good routines, um, have a good handle on the content and which ones could, could benefit from, from learning those things. And you also want to note which classrooms have a teacher who is willing to try some things and might be interested in working with you because that's where you're gonna to wanna to start. So you visit each classroom and you record. I actually have a really cool download for you that will help you do this. This is um, in the classroom sweep document in the free download that you can get in the show notes. That's going to be buzzingwithmissb.com slash episode 78. That's episode with a capital E and the number 78. Uh, you can get a classroom sweep document and a couple other documents too that are going to help you kind of get a picture of what's going on on your campus. And you can visit each classroom and use this document to record your observations and get your head around who's doing what and where, what might be a good place to start as in looking at a model classroom. So you've visited your classrooms in your classroom sweep. You've got your documents that are, that are going to help you think through which room you want to start with, right? So let's talk about some things that we want to consider as you're looking at those documents, as you're looking at those observational notes, and you're thinking about the different teachers that you serve. We don't want to start, for one, with a teacher who doesn't want you around. Please do not try to push into that classroom when you're not wanted yet. There may come a time when you have to do that, and I'm just speaking realistically. I have been there. Lots of coaches have been there, and many coaching books will tell you that you will never have to do that or that doing that is a terrible thing, and just realistically, based on experience, I know that sometimes that is just the nature of our work, right? We have to sometimes be in spaces where people are not excited to have us there. However, don't start there. <laughs> You can push that one down the road a little bit, okay? We want to start, when we're choosing a model classroom, with a teacher who does want us around because we're going to be doing a lot of work with them, and if they're not excited to do that work, it's not going to benefit anybody, anybody else in our campus, and that's the purpose of a model classroom, to support that teacher and to support other teachers through your work with that teacher. We also don't want to start with the classroom with the poorest management, and I have actually seen this, and I get what's happening. Sometimes people feel like, you know what, this teacher needs so much help, I need to get in there and help them right away. And that may be true. They may need support right away, and maybe they want it right away. But that is not your model classroom. That is a classroom for you to work with in coaching cycles, absolutely. But it's not your model classroom, because your model classroom is supposed to be a classroom that will serve other teachers. And if the behavior is not in a, in a, a good place, and management is not in a good place, Teachers are not going to get much out of those visits, and it's going to be really hard for you to find the value in, in inviting them in the first place. So don't start a model classroom in a classroom with a poorest management. 
We also don't want to start in a, in a classroom where we feel like if the teacher were more motivated and excited, they might be doing different kinds of work. And I have seen this. I have seen people try to use this as a like kind of like a, a tool to get people to be responsible or motivated or engaged or whatever it is that they think teachers need to be more of. And I've heard people say, kind of like we do with children, whenever we give them a responsibility, they will rise to the occasion. I'm going to tell you, and it may be unpopular, that has not been my experience. If a teacher is not wanting to be in a leadership position and we're trying to put them there and they're not excited about doing that work, I have not found that to be motivating <laughs> and I have not found that to be inspiring to anyone. And it's going to, you're going to be spinning your wheels, inviting other people to that classroom where the teacher is not excited to have them there. So I don't recommend this, using this as a tool to kind of leverage uh, teacher motivation and see if you can sort of manipulate them into being more excited about the new stuff that you're going to do with them. I don't recommend that at all. That, again, is a classroom that you will do some work in, um, maybe lots of work, but it is not the place to start your model classroom. The last um, recommendation I'm going to make about who not to start with is going to sound weird. And this is what I was talking about a little bit in the introduction. You don't want to start with the teacher who is a natural. And I'm going to tell you a quick summer, a, a quick introduction of two teachers. And that's, this will hopefully help explain my thinking a little bit about this. So we have Alice and we have Lucy. Alice these are actual teachers that I work with, but names have been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> Alice is an incredible teacher. She is artistic and creative. She is a natural and sees things in a really unique way. Uh, lesson planning sort of comes to her, and it can be difficult for her to explain what her intentions are because she just has a vision of where it's going to head. She naturally scaffolds children's thinking. And doesn't really plan for that, just kind of in the moment she can see where kids are and respond to it effectively, okay? So she's what I would call a natural. She's a creative natural. She brings her love of artwork and illustrating and craft into her teaching in a purposeful way. Lucy is a very good teacher. Lucy is organized and thoughtful. She thinks through her lessons. She figures out what she's going to say and when she's going to say it. She looks at her lesson plans as a tool to support her during her lesson to make sure that she is actually scaffolding students' thinking. So those scaffolds, she thinks about them in advance and rehearses them and puts them into her lesson plan so that she's prepared in the moment to make sure that kids are getting the adequate support that they need. She does respond to student needs, absolutely, but she does her best to prepare in advance so that she knows what she's going to do and when she's going to do it to scaffold the thinking throughout this, these more complex concepts. Her room is more structured. It's apparent what's going on all the time. And, um, and she's great on a team. She asks lots of questions, and she answers lots of questions, too. Out of these two very strong teachers, I'm going to recommend that you go with Lucy for your model classroom. And that is because teachers like Alice are sometimes really overwhelming and daunting to their colleagues. And I've heard it, and I've seen it. I've seen people say, well, that's what Alice is going to do, but there's no way. I mean, I'm not going to. I'm not even going to try that. I'm going to do this. And then they take the lesson and they pull the heart of it out and then they do something that makes sense to them. But when they visit Alice's classroom, it's just the whole point that they're there is just to stand and look around in a sort of a state of wonder. 
because they can't, they just, it's like amazing how things are coming together in that room. And I've heard that from a lot of people, people who really think out of the box sometimes can be really overwhelming to those of us who maybe don't think quite in that way. And so serving other teachers, if that is a purpose of a model classroom, you probably want to stick with a teacher who's a good, strong teacher, but who other teachers kind of can, can learn from. And they can think through their choices and explain why they're doing what they're doing. Some people are great at that. Some people, that's not their skill. So it's just something I recommend that you think about. This may not be an issue that you have on your campus, but I have worked, on several cam or worked with several groups of teachers that I have seen this happen. And I found that the classrooms that were more logical and, and easy to explain to others definitely had a more of an impact because teachers understood what they were looking at and they were able to ask questions and get clear responses. So do start with the teacher who has basic solid practices in place, the teacher with basic solid classroom management, the teacher who has some influence in the grade level, if you can, if you can leverage that teacher that is well-liked and, and that other people like to listen to and learn from, go for it. And start with a teacher who wants to try something new, who's looking forward to doing something different. Maybe what they've been doing is, quote, working, but they're open to try something new. They're open to new ideas, or they're seeing an area that they would like to grow in. If you have one of those teachers, there's your model classroom. So hopefully you've done some thinking around your classrooms, what's in place, and who you might start with as a model classroom. I want you to think about who this classroom is going to be serving so that you can decide how many you actually need. You may only need one for your school. You may need several. If you're maybe, let's say you're a pre-K and that is like your specialized work, maybe you just need one. Maybe you're a dual language pre-K and you want one monolingual model classroom and one bilingual model classroom. Maybe you're like I was where it was a K-5 and we had monolingual and bilingual teachers. Well, I could have a K-2 teacher in first grade. Um, my K-2 grade range, I could have a first grade model classroom and maybe my third through fifth grade, I had a third grade model classroom. Maybe I had two of each actually is what I usually would do is I'd have in my K through two range, I'd have two model classrooms, one monolingual and one bilingual, and then the same in upper elementary. So that way there were entry points for everybody. Um, but it depends on what your model of bilingualism looks like as well. So you probably want a model classroom in each band of grades or in each content area that you can use to serve other teachers. I have also found that if I have, for example, a third grade model classroom, there are tremendous benefits for my second grade teachers going to visit that third grade classroom, even though they're in a K2 band. Second grade is so pivotal, and it's, it's a huge shift between primary and upper elementary. So if you can get second grade teachers' experiences both with little children younger than the ones that they serve and children older than the ones that they serve, they're going to get a lot out of that. So if you've chosen your model classroom, let's say you have two model classrooms, what do you do with them, <laughs> right? Well, basically, you do coaching work there. And you can start by asking the teacher, where would you like to grow? Where do you feel like your students are struggling? If you're working on a really specific approach, like let's say that you're a literacy coach and you're focusing on writer's workshop, you could specifically ask, which parts of this framework are challenging to you? And then fo focus your work there. And you could also just say, is there something new or different that you'd like to try out together? And just see what they want to do. They're, they're working alongside you because you're supporting the growth of every teacher not just struggling teachers and not just new teachers, every teacher. They are working alongside you and they are also going to in turn serve 
their colleagues. So you want to make sure that they're invested in this work too. And what I think is really important is as you're having this question, this conversation about initiating this model classroom, that you make it really clear to that teacher what the purpose of a model classroom is, that they understand that at some point you're going to start inviting other teachers to come visit and watch the teaching, whether it's you giving the lessons or the other teacher giving the lessons or your co-teaching. So we want to make sure that our cooperating teachers really know what this is going to look like over time because they're kind of signing up for that too. <laughs> we want to be honest and upfront about that. As you're initiating your coaching cycle work, what you can do is create a content goal and an instructional method goal. So the content goal is going to be what kids are going to learn in the unit. But the instructional method goal is where you're really working through your coaching strategies. So for example, if I'm working with a teacher in, in fourth grade, that's maybe my model classroom, the content goal is that the students are going to analyze character relationships using specific details from the text. We're, building, we're talk, reading about building relationships and understanding how characters interact, so that's the lesson that we want to focus on. But my instructional method goal is really where our work is going to focus in terms of our instructional strategies and seeing how our coaching work is panning out. That could be, I will use an interactive read aloud to model thinking about this strategy. So we want to use a read aloud to think aloud and model the work. And that's really the work that I'm focusing on with the teacher. The lesson is something kids have to learn. But that instructional method goal is something that the teacher is interested in working on. And you can learn more about this in my instructional coaching forms for the coaching cycle resource. That's in my TPT store. If you go to teacherspayteachers.com, you can find it in my store, Chrissy Beltron, Buzzing with Miss B, and just look for instructional coaching forms for the coaching cycle. You can download resources that will walk you through this whole process and get you really set up to support teachers with a coaching cycle in their classroom. That link will also be in the show notes. So one recommendation I have is you're choosing your focus for your, your classroom work, for your coaching cycle work within your model classrooms is if you can focus on things that are essential for your school to grow in, that is a double whammy. Does, do you know what a double whammy is? I don't know how old you are. I am not probably old enough to know what a double whammy is, and yet I know what it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, so for example, if you know that your school is working on a new model of maybe like the 5E model in science, and that is something that you're trying to support in other classrooms, if this teacher that you're working with is interested in working on that too, that's amazing because then you could really kill two birds there. You can do some good solid work on the 5E model in this model classroom so that whenever other teachers who are unsure and are learning this process come in to observe it, they get a really good model of the 5E model as well. Maybe your school is working on building academic vocabulary and that's something that you're providing a lot of workshops on and PLCs about. So during this time in your model classroom, if you focus on academic vocabulary work, when you invite other people in to see these lessons, they're going to say, oh, that's what it can look like. Okay, I get it. You can also record your lessons and show them during workshops and PLCs. If you're doing great work in the classroom, why not use it? You know, kill two birds. If you are working across the school about independent reading habits and making sure that independent reading looks really strong, again, Focus that work in that model classroom, if you can, on that specific idea, and you can really leverage that model classroom to support teachers who are not even in your coaching cycles. So basically, what you're doing is you're choosing a focus for your work with that model classroom, and you're keeping in mind how it's going to be supportive of other classrooms across your school, and then you're doing coaching cycles. 
So in episodes three through seven, I talk about co-planning, observations, model lessons, and co-teaching, and I specifically introduce coaching cycles one step at a time. So if you're unsure about those things, you can go to those episodes of this podcast, and you can also grab that resource I mentioned a few minutes ago, Instructional Coaching Forms for the Coaching Cycle, because that will walk you through this as well, about this process, about what a coaching cycle can look like, and it'll give you all the tools that you need to do it. So now let's say you have been working with your model classroom, you are well underway in your coaching cycle work, you've done some really great work together and you've been focusing on academic vocabulary and you can see it happening in the classroom, right? You're modeling some lessons, you're co-teaching some lessons, you're observing some lessons. Well, how do you use this to support other teachers on your campus? I talked a little bit about this. I mentioned a couple things, but these are some things that you can do to really leverage that work that you're doing in that model classroom. So during the work of building this model class, model classroom and really uh, developing these coaching cycles with your counterpart, with your colleague, there are a few different things that you can do that will help you maximize your effectiveness in other classrooms that you don't even have time to visit. One of them is that you can have teachers sit in on planning sessions with you and your co-teacher and the cooperating teacher. So if a teacher is wanting to get more ideas for a specific unit that you have coming up and you are going to plan for that unit with your co-teacher, your cooperating teacher, you can invite this other teacher in to sit with you all and have them sit in and share their thinking during planning sessions as well. That is one way that you can use this model classroom as a way to support another classroom. You can also have teachers observe you modeling in this model classroom, or they can observe co-taught lessons in this model classroom. While you're still really doing a lot of work there, you can have them observe uh, the, the classroom teacher teach as well, but you wanna be really selective about when you do that because you are asking a lot of that classroom teacher. So, you know, whenever they feel comfortable, you can make that available to other teachers too. And I really do recommend that because teachers need to see other teachers teaching in their classrooms. In, in what profession do you get locked in a room with a bunch of little people who don't let you go anywhere, like even to the bathroom, and you have to perfect your craft all on your own? That doesn't happen everywhere else. Other people get to go to conferences and watch people do the work that they do, and they get to go observe other people do the work that they do. In teaching, once you're a teacher, we lock you up and we swallow the key. <laughs> and that doesn't help anybody. We need to make opportunities for teachers to visit other teachers. Absolutely. You can also record videos of you modeling and you co-teaching alongside your cooperating teacher. So these are really helpful when it comes to workshops, professional development, PLCs, or even just to build a video bank. And I really recommend building a video bank. Um, don't lose all those little videos that you put together with teachers. Whenever you're doing a lesson, label them with a grade level and with whatever you were working on and make sure that you save them in one secure place that other teachers can have access to so they can look up things and say, how do I introduce independent reading habits? Okay, let me look up this video that Chrissy shared. Um, how, what's a good way to have kids respond to drama? Let me look up this video that Chrissy shared. It's a great way to support teachers whenever you don't even have time to visit that classroom or they're not even approaching you for your coaching support, but they can watch a video. It's also a really good way to onboard new teachers. 
So new teachers who are new to your school, new to your practices, haven't really seen how anything works, they can watch videos and they can use that to help themselves learn something new. I remember we had a video series set that came with our, our science kits. When I started teaching, and I don't know if anybody's going to remember this. If you do, then you need to shout out to me on Instagram so I can see you. <laughs> We, when I started teaching, we used to use FOSS kits. They were these black and white boxes, that, like the black and white pattern on a composition book, but they were big, big boxes, FOSS, F-O-S-S. And they had tons of cool stuff in them. And the only issue with FOSS was you could teach like one standard from your state standards and it would take you like six weeks. <laughs> And you had a million left to cover and you had de delved so deeply into it, gone so far below and above where the standard was that you had spent so much time where you didn't get to anything else. So they were super cool hands-on things, but it was definitely a trade-off. Anyway, FOSS included videos of how to do the lessons. And I am not that kind of person that I prefer to watch a video. I'd rather read the teacher's guide. But I had a colleague who loved to watch those videos because they made her feel so prepared. And she would. She would take the videos home. This was VHS, guys. VHS. She would take those videos home. It's been a while. And she would watch them. And then she'd come back to school the next day prepared for that lesson. And she knew the academic vocabulary. She knew what the procedures were going to look like. And she just felt really confident. So if you can create a video bank for your teachers, you're going to support a lot of people who learn that way. The last tip that you can, you can really maximize the effectiveness of this model classroom with is use this classroom as a model of what coaching work is like. So the beauty of choosing a teacher who's a strong teacher is that it shows that coaching is not just for weak or new or struggling teachers or, quote, bad teachers, right? We don't want people to think that coaching is a punishment or a consequence of bad teaching or ignorance or anything like that. We want people to understand that coaching helps you get better at stuff you're already doing. Coaching is a support system for every single teacher because we are always learning. If you can start coaching in this way with a model classroom with a teacher who's pretty strong, you are setting the bar of what your coaching work is going to look like. And you're saying, I am not here to fix you. I am here to work alongside you. And I am here to grow your practice with you as a partner. So you can use this classroom to leverage your way into other classrooms and get those other teachers enrolled in coaching cycles because they will see the benefits they will see what the process looks like. You can invite them to visit you whenever you're co-teaching and highlighting that process is going to be what gets you in the door of classrooms that maybe would have been closed to you before because they've never seen coaching, but when they see it in action and they see the results and they see this teacher excited to try something and they see you supporting all teachers and not just, you know, as a punishment, they are going to be more likely to invite you into their room or to welcome you into your, their room when they show, you show up. Now, after you have gone through a good amount of coaching work with this classroom, at some point you may decide it's time to move into a different classroom and create a model classroom there. Maybe you do it once a semester. Maybe you do it once every six weeks. It really just depends on your school and your climate and what you're working on. I don't really have any recommendations for that aside from spend a good chunk of time, at least a month or six weeks in a classroom if you're really going to consider it a model classroom. So that doesn't mean every day, <laughs> but really, you know, spread your work out over that time and focus on growing that classroom to the point where you feel comfortable having other teachers visit. So you can have other teachers after you're kind of closing out your regular work with a classroom, you can always come back to it. But if you're kind of closing out those coaching cycles, that initial, that initial process, 
You can have other teachers visit that model classroom and observe the teacher and communicate with them about what they're doing. And that is a great way for you to have provide teacher support, let teachers visit other classrooms, and you don't even have to be present and doing that initial work because the teacher is going to be really supportive of that by then. Then you can invite another teacher to work with you and you can establish really strong stuff going on in that classroom, right? And hopefully by then, because you've started with a friendly, because you've started with a, a strong teacher, because you started with a teacher who had influence and good practices, other people will be ready to welcome you into their classrooms. So basically, those are my tips for creating a model classroom. You're going to want to get to know the teacher's practice with a classroom suite. You're going to choose carefully who that model classroom is going to be or model classrooms. Then you're going to really focus your work ideally on something the teacher's interested in, but if you can make sure that that's something that's tied to your school goals or initiatives, that's really, you're going to be really glad that you did. <laughs> Set your goals for working with a teacher and initiate coaching cycles. And then think about how you can use that classroom to support other classrooms across your school. That is going to be one way to really maximize the support that your teachers are getting. Another way of maximizing the support that your teachers are getting is something that I talk about back in episode 60, and that is tiering teachers for support, creating tiers of teachers and using that to guide how you structure uh, your time in classrooms. So if you want to learn more about that, go back to episode 60. And next week, I'm really super excited for my episode next week. I am talking to Corey Camp about video coaching. And I think this strategy works so well with model classrooms and it can be used to support teachers across your school efficiently, really efficiently. I really wish I had known more about this when I was a new coach because there were times that I had really crazy scheduling conflicts with teachers that we just could not seem to get on the same page, but they were asking for support. And I can think of one teacher in particular who's gonna haunt me to my grave <laughs> that asked me for support and wanted me in there and I, we could not figure it out on paper. But if I had used video coaching with her, she would have gotten the support that she wanted right away. So I really recommend that you listen into this episode. That's going to be episode 79 with Corey Camp because I think this is going to solve so many challenges that coaches have, including basic scheduling stuff that sometimes is completely out of our control. So join me next week for episode 79. And until then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.